we come together to hear a story. The story of the birth of Jesus the Christ. And I'll tell you that story, but perhaps not in the way you expect. It will come to us through the eyes and experience of the other wise man, the one whose name was not recorded in the annals of time, but whose journey was far, far longer than the three magi we know. And that long journey to bring his gifts to the holy child led to him receiving the most precious gift of all in return, a greater gift than the others could have begun to dream of, His long, arduous, seemingly unending journey led him to divine truth. May his tale stir your hearts and awaken that divine truth within you. In the days when Augustus Caesar was master of many kings and Herod reigned in Jerusalem, there lived in the city of Ecbatana, among the mountains of Persia, a man named Artaban, the Median. A tall, dark man of about 40 years with brilliant eyes set close together under his broad brow and firm lines graven around his fine, thin lips. A man of sensitive feeling but inflexible will, one of those who, in whatever age they live, seem born for inward conflict and a life of quest. His robe was of pure white wool thrown over a tunic of silk and a white pointed cap with long lapels at the sides rested on his flowing black hair. It was the dress of the ancient priesthood of the Magi called the Fire Worshippers. From the doorway where he stood to greet his guests, he called, Welcome, welcome, Abdus. Peace be with you, Rodaspi, and Tigranus, and with you, my father, Agrabus. There were nine of the men offering wildly, differing wildly in age, but alike in the richness of colorful silk clothing. The massive golden collars around their necks marking them as Parthian nobles and the winged circles of gold resting upon their breasts, the sign of followers of the Zoroaster. They took their places around a small black altar at the end of the room where a tiny flame was burning. I have invited you here tonight as faithful scholars of the Zoroaster to renew your worship and rekindle your faith. We worship not the fire, but him who chose it as his symbol, because it is the purest of all created things. It speaks to us of one who is light and truth. Is that not so, Father? It is well said, my son, answered the venerable Abgarus. Hear me then, my father and my friends, while I tell you of the new light and truth that have come to me through the most ancient of all signs. He spoke of their study of nature, 
the virtues of water and fire and plants, of all their scholarly pursuits to untangle the threads of the mystery of life from the beginning to the end. And as he spoke of the ancient tales that told of a Messiah to be born and signs of earth and sky which indicate that the time may be near. And in all of our pursuits, let us ask ourselves, are there not many stars still beyond our horizon, beyond our understanding? The stars, said Tigranes, are the deepest thoughts of the eternal. We would do well to yield to them. That does not satisfy me. In prophecies foretold, answers lie in those celestial bodies. It has been shown to me and to my three companions among the Magi, Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. They are watching at the ancient temple of the seven spheres at Borsipa in Babylonia. And I am watching here. If the star shines, they will wait ten days at the temple for me. Then we will set out to see the promised one who shall be born the king of Israel. I've sold my house and possessions and bought these three jewels, a sapphire, a ruby, and a pearl, as gifts of tribute for the king. In his upturned palms, three gems appeared, one blue as a fragment of the night sky, one redder than a ray of sunrise, and one as pure as the peak of a snow mountain at twilight. And I ask you to go with me. His friends looked on with strange and alien eyes. They glanced at each other with looks of concern and pity. At last, Tigrana said, Artaban, this is a dream of ego. No king will ever rise from Israel and no end will ever come to the eternal strife of light and darkness. Anyone who believes it is chasing shadows. And one by one, they went out of the chamber and Artaban was left in solitude. As Artaban watched them recede into the distance, an azure spark was born out of the darkness beneath Jupiter and Saturn, rounding itself with purple splendors to a crimson sphere and spiraling upward through rays of saffron and orange into a point of white radiance. He bowed his head. It is the sign. The king is coming, and I will go and meet him. The swiftest of Artaban's horses had been waiting, saddled and bridled in her stall, pawing the ground impatiently and shaking her bit as if she shared the eagerness of her master's pursuit. And so it was without a moment's hesitation that she responded to his command and they set upon their journey. They passed along the slopes of Mount Orontes, the plains of the Nicaeans and the fertile fields of Concabar through Carine and the gates of Zagros into the ancient city of Chala. On and on he rode until he arrived at nightfall on the tenth day beneath the walls of Babylon. His horse was almost spent, 
but he knew it was three hours' journey to the temple of the seven spheres, and he must reach the place by midnight. So he rode steadily on. A grove of date palms made an island of gloom in the pale yellow sea of the stubble field, and as she passed into the shadow, the horse slackened her pace. Near the farther end of the darkness, caution seemed to fall upon her. At last, she gave a quick breath of anxiety and stood stock still, quivering in every muscle before a dark object in their path. Artaban dismounted. The dim starlight revealed the form of a man laying across the road. His pale face showed clear signs of the deadly fever which had ravaged the marshlands in autumn. The chill of death was in his lean hand, and as Artaban released it, the arm fell back limply upon the motionless breast. He began to turn away when a long, faint, ghostly sigh came from the man's lips. The thin, bony fingers closed on the hem of the magian's robe and held him fast. Artaban's heart leapt to his throat, not with fear, but with the inopportunity of the timing. How could he stay here in the darkness to minister to a dying stranger? What claim did this stranger have on his service or his compassion? If he stayed behind for even an hour, his companions would think that he'd given up the journey and go without him. He would lose his quest. But if he went on now, the man would surely die. If he stayed, life might be restored. His spirit throbbed and fluttered with the urgency of the crisis. God of truth and purity, direct me in the holy path, the way of wisdom which only you know. Then he turned back to the sick man. He unbound the thick folds of his turban and opened the garment above the sunken breast. He moistened the sufferer's brow and mouth with water. From his bag, he pulled a small vial, for the magens were physicians as well and poured it slowly between the colorless lips. Hour after hour he labored, until at last the man's strength returned, and he sat up and looked at him. Who are you? he asked. I am Artaban, the Magian, and I'm going to Jerusalem in search of one who is to be born king of the Jews, a great prince and deliverer of all men. I cannot delay my journey any longer, or the caravan that is waiting may leave without me. But look, I am leaving you all of the bread and wine that I have left, and here is a potion of healing herbs. The man raised his trembling hand solemnly to heaven. God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Bless and prosper the journey of this merciful man and bring him in peace to his desired haven. Then, looking at Artaban, he said, 
I have nothing to give you in return except for this. I can tell you where to look for the Messiah. Our prophets say that he shall not be born in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem of Judah. May the Lord bring you safely to that place because you have shown such compassion. It was already long past midnight. Ardaban rode in haste and his mare ran eagerly through the silent plain, swam the channels of the river, then put forth the remnant of her strength and flew over the ground like a gazelle. But the first ray of sunlight broke the horizon as they were nearing their meeting place. As Artaban's eyes anxiously roamed the temple of the seven spheres, he realized there was no trace of his friends. Looking down, he saw a little pile of broken bricks and under them a piece of parchment. He caught it up and read, We have waited past midnight and can delay no longer. We go to find the king. Follow us across the desert. Artaban sat down, covering his head in despair. How can I cross the desert with no food and an exhausted horse? I must return to Babylon, sell my sapphire and buy a camel, and provisions for the journey. I may never reach my friends. Only God knows whether I shall not lose my chance to see the king because I stayed behind to show mercy. Artaban passed over dreary undulations of the desert, high upon the back of his camel, rocking steadily onward like a ship over the waves. By day, the fierce heat seemed to blot out all signs of life, save for a few lizards vanishing beneath the rocks. By night, Jackals prowled and barked in the distance, and the lion made the black ravines echo with his hollow roaring, while a bitter, blighting chill followed the fever of the day. Through heat and cold, the Magian moved steadily onward until he arrived at Bethlehem. It was the third day after the three wise men had come to that place and found Mary and Joseph with the young child, Jesus. This other wise man, Artaban, drew near, weary but full of hope, bearing his ruby and pearl to offer to the king. The streets of the village appeared to be deserted, From the open door of a small cottage, he heard the sound of a woman's voice singing softly. He entered and found a young mother hushing her baby to rest. She told him of strangers from the Far East who had appeared in the village three days ago and how they said a star had guided them to the place where Joseph of Nazareth and his wife and newborn child were and how they had paid reverence to the child and given him many rich gifts. But the travelers disappeared as suddenly as they came, she continued, and Joseph of Nazareth took the babe and his mother and fled secretly that same night. People say they've gone to Egypt. 
since then. There's been a fear in the village. They say Roman soldiers are coming from Jerusalem to force a new tax. So the men have driven the flocks and herds far back among the hills and hidden themselves to escape it. Artaban listened to her gentle, timid speech, and the child in her arms looked upon his face and smiled, reaching out its rosy hands to grasp at the winged circle of gold on his breast. His heart warmed to the touch. It seemed like a greeting of love and trust to one who had journeyed long in loneliness fighting with his own doubts and fears. Now, as he touched the babe's cheek, he thought to himself, Couldn't this beautiful child have been the promised prince? I cannot imagine any child more perfect than this. But it seems God has chosen not to reward my effort so quickly or easily. So I must follow the king into Egypt. The young mother laid the babe in the cradle and rose to set food before Artaban. The simple fare of peasants, but offered in loving kindness and therefore full of refreshment for the body and soul. But suddenly, the streets outside erupted with the voices of women shrieking and wailing, the clangor of trumpets and clashing of swords, and a desperate voice cried out, The soldiers! The soldiers of Herod! They're killing our children! The young mother's face grew white with terror. She held her child to her chest and ran to crouch in the darkened corner of the room. Without a pause for thought, Artaban quickly rose and stood in the doorway of the house. His broad shoulders filled the portal from side to side, and the peak of his white cap touched the lintel. The soldiers hurried down the street with swords and armor, but halted in surprise at the sight of the stranger in his imposing clothes. The captain strode forward to thrust him aside, But Artaban did not stir. His face was calm, as though he was watching the stars, and in his eyes there burned a steady radiance. He held the soldier silently for an instant, and then said in a low voice, I am alone in this place, and I am waiting to give this jewel to the wise captain who will leave me in peace. He showed the ruby, glistening in the hollow of his hand. March on, the captain called to his men. There is no child here. The house is still. As the clamor and clang of arms passed down the street, Artaban re-entered the cottage, turned, and began to pray. God of truth, forgive me. I have told a lie to save the life of a child, and now two of my gifts are gone. I have spent for men that which was meant for the Messiah. Shall I ever be worthy to see his face? But the voice of the woman 
weeping for joy in the shadow behind him, said very gently, You saved my son. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. The years of Artaban's life flowed swiftly by. He moved among the throngs of citizens of Egypt, seeking everywhere for traces of the man, Joseph, his wife, Mary, and their child, finding traces of them under the spreading sycamore trees of Heliopolis, beneath the walls of New Babylon beside the Nile, traces so faint and dim that they vanished before time and time again. He found himself in an obscure house of Alexandria, taking counsel with a Hebrew rabbi. The venerable man, bending over rolls of parchment on which the prophets of Israel had written, had read aloud the words which foretold the sufferings of the promised Messiah. And remember, my son, he said, fixing his deep-set eyes on Artaban, the king you are seeking will not be found in a palace, nor among the rich and powerful. If the light of the world was meant to come with the glory of earthly riches, it would have appeared long ago. The light he brings is a new light, the glory that shall rise out of the patient and triumphant suffering, and the kingdom which he promises is perfect and unconquerable love. And so Artaban traveled ceaselessly from place to place, searching for people who might have offered refuge to the little family from Bethlehem. He passed through lands heavy with famine, where the poor were crying for bread, through plague-stricken cities where the sick lay languishing in the bitter companionship of helpless misery. He visited the oppressed and afflicted in the gloom of their prisons and crowded wretchedness of slave markets. In all the places and faces of anguish in the world, though he found none to worship, he found oh so very many to help. He fed the hungry, clothed the naked, healed the sick, and comforted the captive. And his years went by more swiftly than the weaver's tools flash back and forth through the loom while his work grows and the invisible pattern is completed. From the outside, many thought he had forgotten his quest, but one with a keen eye might have noticed moments when, all alone, he would reach into his tunic and remove from a secret hiding place within a pearl, the last of his jewels, and he'd look at it, and as he did a luster, a soft and iridescent light full of shifting gleams of azure and rose trembled on the surface. It seemed to have absorbed some of the colors of the sapphire and ruby 
as though the profound secret purpose of his life, all the memories of his joy and sorrows, all that has helped him and all that has hindered him had been transferred by a subtle magic into its very essence. Thirty-three years of Artaban's life had come and gone, and he was still a seeker of the light. His hair, once dark and lustrous, was now pale. His eyes, which once flashed like flames of fire, were dull as embers smoking among the ashes. He was worn and weary, but still looking for the king, and had come once again to Jerusalem. And something whispered in his heart that, at last, he might succeed. It was the season of Passover, and it appeared as though all the children of Israel scattered in far lands all over the world had returned to the city's temple for the great feast. The rabble of voices from every direction sounded through every hour of each day, it seemed. But on this day, the sky was filled with gloom and currents of excitement seemed to flash through the crowd. Artaban stopped a group of people. Please, tell me, where is everyone going and why? We are going, they answered, to a place called Golgotha, where there is to be an execution. Have you not heard? Two famous robbers are to be crucified, and with them another, called Jesus of Nazareth, a man who has done wonderful works among the people who love him greatly. Many have called him the Son of God and King of the Jews, but... Pilate has said that he must die. How strangely these words fell upon Artaban's tired heart. For a lifetime he had been led over land and sea to search for the king, and now his name came to him darkly and mysteriously like a message of despair. The king had risen but he had been denied and cast out and was about to perish. Artaban's heart beat unsteadily as he said to himself, The ways of God are stranger, stranger than the thoughts of man, and it may be that I shall finally find the king in time to offer my pearl as ransom for his life. So off he followed the multitude with slow and painful steps toward the gate of Damascus city. Just beyond, a troop of Macedonian soldiers hurried down the street, dragging a young woman in a tattered dress. As the Magian paused to look at her with compassion, she broke suddenly from the hands of her captors and threw herself at his feet. Save me, she cried. I follow the religion taught by the Magi. My father was a merchant of Parthia, but he's gone. And I've been taken to repay his debts, to be sold as a slave. Save me from this fate worse than death. Artaban trembled as those now 
familiar old conflicts again settled in his soul, which had come to him in the palm grove of Babylon and in the cottage in Bethlehem, the conflict between his faith and the impulse of love. Twice, the gifts he'd brought in homage to the Messiah had been drawn from his hand to save the life of another. This was the third trial, the ultimate challenge, the final and irrevocable choice. Was this his greatest opportunity or his last temptation? He couldn't tell. Only one thing was clear in the darkness of his mind. It was inevitable. And doesn't the inevitable come from God? And only one thing was sure to his divided heart. To rescue this helpless girl would be a deed of true, pure love. And isn't love the light of the soul? He took the pearl from his tunic. Never had it seemed more luminous, so radiant, so full of tender, living luster. He laid it in the hand of the girl. This is your ransom, child. It is the last of the treasure I kept for the king. While he spoke, the darkness of the sky thickened and shuddering tremors ran through the earth. The walls of the houses rocked to and fro. Stones were loosened and crashed into the street. Dust clouds filled the air. The soldiers fled in terror, but Artaban and the girl he'd ransomed crouched helplessly there. What do I have to fear? For he had nothing more to live for. He had given away the last gift meant for the king. He'd parted with his last hope of finding him. The quest was over and he'd failed. But even in that thought, accepted and embraced, there was peace. It was not submission. It was something more profound and searching. He knew that all was well because he had given the best of himself each day. He had been true to the light that had been given to him. He had not fulfilled his great purpose. But he knew that even if he could live his earthly life again, it would not have otherwise been. One more lingering pulsation of the earthquake quivered through the ground. A heavy tile, shaken from the roof, fell and struck the old man. He lay breathless and pale, with his gray head resting on the girl's shoulder. And as she bent over him, fearing that he was dead, there came a voice through the twilight, very small and still, like music sounding from a distance. The notes were clear, but the words were lost. Then the old man's lips began to move in answer, and she heard him say, 
Not so, my Lord. When I saw the hungry, I fed them. The thirsty, I gave them drink. When I saw those who were wandering, I took them in. Those who were naked, I clothed. When I saw the sick or imprisoned, I came to them. Thirty-three years I have looked for you, but I have never seen your face nor ministered to you. I yielded to the needs of others. I have failed you, my king. He ceased, and the sweet voice came again, and again the girl heard it, very faint and far away, but now she understood the words. Verily I say unto thee, inasmuch as thou hast done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, thou hast done it unto me. A calm radiance of wonder and joy lighted the pale face of Ardaban like the first ray of dawn on a snowy mountain peak. One last breath of relief exhaled gently from his lips. His journey was ended. His treasures accepted. The other wise men had found the king. The story of the other wise men is unknown to most, but we who have heard it know its value is priceless. How many of us, how many of the people we know are spending our lives seeking for purpose, looking everywhere in our own unending quest? How many of us are like Ardaban the Magian, clinging to the idea of what should be. And maybe, just maybe, overlooking the perfection which already is. All Jesus came to teach, and the truth that love is the true meaning of all our lives, it was already within and guiding Artaban. And it is within and guiding all of you. Are you, as the innkeepers of your life, so guarding the manger of your heart that you deny the Christ entrance? Or will you, with me today, let him in? Let that Christ consciousness awaken, expand, and become fully orbed in you. As we've said every Sunday in December, love is God's healing touch. L-I-G-H-T. Light. You, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before man that they shall see your works and glorify God. Now, I invite you to bring forth an intention An intention that will support you in revealing the Christ light within. One that supports you in remembering the truth of your divine nature. The truth of who and whose you are. 
the truth of all humanity. Hold on to that intention throughout these last few powerful minutes of tonight's service. In a moment, the choir will begin to sing a very meaningful, very powerful song, which we've never shared here before. Please listen in contemplative prayer. And when they've finished, silently proceed down the aisles where you will be handed a candle. Light your candle as you exit, knowing that as we each add our light to the world, we join millions of people across the planet tonight in remembrance of the Master Teacher, Jesus. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill to all. Thank you. 